We're in Beirut for a new episode of the Beirut Banyan, and we're joined today by Zena Saab and Munir Nepti. Zena is a founder of the Nawe Network and a co-founder of SE Factory, committing herself to empowering marginalized youth throughout Lebanon. And Munir is a co-founder of Alt City and Pitchworthy, NGOs focusing on technology, entrepreneurial thinking, and a commitment to reducing inequality throughout the country. Their respective NGOs' websites are linked in the details box below. And both Zena and Munir are friends. I've known them for years now. I knew them when they were students at AUB. Uh, I knew them before they knew each other. And I was lucky. I knew them as their love story began. Their optimism, their passion. I wanted to hear their thoughts together. On their shared determination to keep going despite the odds. And our conversation took place at Beirut Digital District which is in Khandal Ghami, and it's just beneath the ring, beneath the Fouad Shheb Bridge, where we saw two things happening over the past two weeks. For the most part, festivities, peaceful protesting, a lot of politics, a lot of debates, and genuine euphoria. And unfortunately, we saw episodes of violence, of riots, of tents being burned to the ground, images that were frightening, and images that did not overwhelm the majority of protesters, because within hours, everything went back to normal. This, of course, coincided with the Prime Minister's resignation, but the conversation's location, I think, is important because it actually exposes two things. It exposes the positivity and the optimism that is shared among Zena and Munir. It also exposes the brink of chaos and violence Lebanon is too familiar with, and it's a fragile balance that we've lived through not just through the civil war, but in the post-war years. Both Zena and Munir have committed themselves to living in Lebanon and taking advantage of what's happening now and reflecting on the moment of unity Lebanon is going through. Before we get to Zena and Munir, if you're enjoying these episodes, please consider a contribution through Patreon. The link is in the details box. Any donation is appreciated. For episode 30 of the Beirut Banyan, I'm Rani Shatah with Zena Saab and Munir Nepti. during the trash crisis. I thought that the trash crisis was gonna be the thing that unites everybody and brings everybody out on the streets for a sustained amount of time because trash hits everybody. Christian, Muslim, well-to-do, low-income, people in the north, the south, the, the mountains. This touches everybody alike. And this, I thought, would be like the neutral element that really unites the country and tells everybody to just completely rise up and say, no more, we are fed up. It did not happen, unfortunately. Um, I, before all of this happened, I, always, I was always saying that it was going to be something economical. If it, Lebanon needs to implode, yeah. if the currency needs to devalue, if more unemployment needs to happen, if more um, pensions are wiped out, if, if that, it reaches that catastrophic level, I felt that this was going to be the thing that brings people out on the streets. Luckily, we didn't have to reach that level. It actually happened mm. a little bit sooner. I hope we're mm. not too late, but mm. 
yes, it's so different this time around because it is financial. It hits everybody in a more direct way than the trash crisis did. Right. Um, I hope it doesn't actually happen, this, this deterioration, economic deterioration that everybody's talking about. Mm. Um, I hope we're able to stop it before it actually manifests itself nationwide and hits everybody. But it needed to be something that severe to get people to wake up and realize if we don't do something, we are all headed um, towards the same unfortunate path. So it's the unique shared economic pain that allowed something like this to happen. Uh, the last time we saw each other was three or four days before the Shuf fires began, uh, less than a week before the revolt started. And we had a sort of a, a friendly exchange of pessimism that we thought that it might already be too late, but there was that glimmer of hope. And you think that this protest, in a way, we're lucky that it happened now, before the ultimate collapse. I mean, it's, it is all economical, it's all financial, it's something that hits everybody completely the same way. Yeah. Um, ultimately, we're realizing now that all the factors that have divided Lebanese over the past several decades have only been tools that the leaders of Lebanon have been using to fragment us and to divide us yeah. and to have us completely be reliant on them. And I think that's collapsing now. Because of, the, because of this protest. Yeah, because yeah. we're realizing that they are not actually seeking to protect us. Mm. They're doing this for their own benefit. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely bizarre to me to see how low-income people who have really nothing going for them, they're not um, going to the best schools and universities, they're not finding their uh, proper jobs, they're in despair, and yet they are able to completely be continue to follow their own leaders um, who are so wealthy yeah. um, because of exploiting the system. It's just, this is what they've been able to, 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 to brainwash us with, to make us feel that they are protecting us, our community, our sect, and this is what has taken precedence over our own dignity, our own well-being, our own national so well-being. So in a way... This it, is collapsing Right, so, so the fact that it happened sooner than the proper crash is giving us a last chance because we're overcoming things that we don't usually overcome. Does it share sentiment? What I've been feeling for, for many years here, and I moved back here 15 years ago from California, is that we very often have strengths that overlap with our weaknesses. We have had such incredible creativity, open-mindedness, discussions, people coming together the last several um, days, the last two weeks. Um, uh, it has been so beautiful, and, and we've had samples of that, glimmers of that, for many years. You know, yeah. the amount of art galleries and, um, and, and music and bands and art and, you know, so much stuff, we've had that, but our system hasn't supported it. So it's been very constrained. But we have so much of that that we can build on if we appreciate that what we have is a great start. It's very far from where we need to go, mm. but it's a great start to build on. And I think this will help us in terms of the challenges that I think most countries around the world will face. Um, if we can figure out how to leverage our, our, our foundation to grow on, it'll be incredible. If we think that we're fine where we are, then we're going to be in very big trouble. The same kind of thing in the startup ecosystem where, um, where I've been working for the last you know, 12 years 
is there are many people who I think are, who are too comfortable with where it's at, thinking that we have a decent ecosystem, you know, even in Beirut. But in my mind, it's so early, it's so nascent, it's fantastic to build on, but we're so far from where we need to be, even in the startup ecosystem. Yeah. I'm going to step back for a moment. We'll get into all of this because there's a lot of things here that have, I mean, there's, I think it's an equal measure, positive and negative expectations to come. But let's go back in time, 15 years ago, when we first met each other. We met each other, I think, in the months after the March 14 movement. So fall of 2005 and then 2006, where we experienced the summer war. Um, but back then, despite there was violence, we had a summer war where there were people that lost their lives and there were assassinations taking place repeatedly. We had a sit-in in downtown that paralyzed the city for almost two years. There was still positive energy. And I think I'm going to speak at least on my behalf. The bad did not outweigh the good in that stretch. There was still a sort of a determination that um, we can overcome this and we'll have a better country. It may take a few years, but we'll get there. Fast forward 15 years later, we're in the middle of it, but we see it beginning to die down, the demonstrations the last two weeks. Do you retain that kind of optimism? Do you still have that same determination, or has it faded a bit? Uh, I'm naturally an optimistic person. I choose to believe that everything happens for a reason, even like in the midst of the fires mm. that were happening. I just couldn't believe that on top of everything else, we had the fires, as if we needed that. It's like adding insult to injury. I'm like, this is what's gonna get people out on the streets. It didn't. And then, lo and behold, it was, it, it served its purpose because the WhatsApp mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. issue boiled over, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So I always try to think that there's always somehow a, a purpose to everything. What we're seeing now is very different. Mm -hmm. and. We're saying that we were in a coma and we finally woke up and I really don't think that everyone will continue to vote the way they've been voting um, traditionally. Sure, there's a large segment of the population that will, mm -hmm. but there's a large segment that will not. And I, I, I like to group people in, in like in the voters um, or non-voters in different groups and one of the main ones is the people who are completely who have been completely disillusioned and who have chosen not to vote in past elections because they don't have trust in anyone in any system mm -hmm. even in new faces they're skeptical are these people going to be become corrupt yeah. and so they choose to not vote and not not um, make that difference so in a way you're allowing for more hope this time around i feel that people a percentage of this population that chose to stay home in past elections will finally choose to go and vote to try to make that change. And what's happening now, it's so beautiful. Sure, the protests physically have died down, yeah. but it's still on our minds every single day. Yeah. And we're always thinking, how can we contribute? How can we keep this going? We don't want this to die. It's still the beginning. And we understand that we're not naive. And we understand that there are major forces at play yeah. that are so against us. So what we need to do is to really find a united stance somehow and agree that we're going to keep going, we're going to keep fighting for this because we've already uh, achieved something significant, but the road is long. So I really think like if, if we're able to 
uh, capitalize on all the initiatives that have been formed here. Yes. What is it that's being formed right now in the different mm. discussions that are being held, the ideas that are being exchanged, the networks that are being created, the organizations that are being formed? What, what's being born here, you don't know what that will lead to in a few years' time. We're not saying change is going to happen overnight, but it will happen. I take a look at 2011, the Take Back, the take back Parliament movement. Yes. This was during the Arab yes. Spring, and yes. it kind of hit Lebanon mm -hmm. at some point, and we were out on the streets demanding yeah. a secular state. It, it fizzled out fine. It wasn't the time, but it was the start of something. Four years later, 2015, the trash crisis. Uh, movements came up, yeah. you know, and others. This sparked something. And then Beirut Medinati in 2016, and now this. Yes. You know, like, there are, this is all leading to something. We're all putting the pieces of the puzzle together to create that path to something significant that's going to happen for the future of Lebanon. But, but we're not expecting it to happen overnight. In, in your opinion, the burden goes back to elections, that it's a matter of getting rid of the ruling parties that have more or less governed Lebanon for at least the better half of the past 50 years. You're talking about that, that is the road ahead, in your opinion. I think Lebanon is too fragile of a state mm. to have change come through um, more violent ways. I mean, we saw in different mm -hmm. parts of the Arab world, um, violence did not serve a good purpose at all. And mm -hmm. I would never want that to happen to Lebanon. I recognize the challenges, and that's why I feel so, it's so beautiful the fact that these protests have been really largely peaceful. Thankfully, yeah. um, um, uh, my heart goes out to the people who passed away, but it's not that many, you know? Yeah. And so I hope we can stay along that path, but I really think pressure needs to come on a political level, on one hand, and second, awareness education like who is electing these people who have been in in power for the past several decades they are people who are electing them who are they so a lot you, of them are out on the streets with us so you see through the shared economic pain that there is now a unique potential for political change that those attempts in the last 15 years yes. were not there because it wasn't ripe enough wasn't now ripe. i feel it's ripe so i think the process is uh, going to take longer than a lot of people thought at some of the protests. I mean, I remember after just three or four days of the protests, many people were wondering why the government hadn't fallen yet, why they right. hadn't met our demands, yeah. and um, uh, met the demands of the people. And uh, I uh, had a sense that this was gonna be much longer, and that a lot of the change that people thought would take a week or two weeks, or even three weeks, actually will take two or three months, and actually will take a year or two um, until the next elections, and ho until hopefully the next elections, because it might be the next one or two elections as things evolve. Um, you know, there's so many unknowns in that. And I think that, um, I mean, I was, I was um, uh, uh, surprised and quite um, uh, scared by what happened yesterday in downtown Beirut. Were you guys, were even you, though, where were you when, when the, at least when the, when the protests came? Turned here, into riots. Almost a war zone yesterday. What were, it was a war zone. We were was, both near downtown. Yeah, I was we heading towards the confrontation and I saw two, three hundred of the young men. Um, but you saw it yourself. Yeah, and then I ran away. Where were you? Man? I was also downtown. Yeah. And uh, also saw it and, um, 
you know, and one of the things that I thought was really, it, it, it was very scary just because in this kind of context, um, it's not a time when you can have discussions with people about issues and economic rights and how um, uh, a lot of people have been very deprived in this country for a long time. But um, uh, this was some of the stuff that came out in discussions after and people saying, you know, both on TV and people we spoke with, that, um, that people are not angry um, uh, at those people who were going and, and bashing the tents downtown. There really is, was the sense that we are Lebanese and they are Lebanese and we have all been struggling and we've all been um, uh, struggling and trying to survive in these very difficult circumstances and the system pushed us in different directions but how can we then follow on with some of the discussions and some of our efforts as one community, as one country, to move towards the sense that even when we disagree about these different issues, we can respect each other, we can have conversations, we can think about how um, we can move forwards as a country, even when we have some of these deep disagreements. And I think it's some of these deeper issues that we have to think about that is not downtown, yeah. it's not in the different cities at the protest, it's not dealing with the change of government, it's dealing with how we um, deal with some of these aspects in our education system, in our, in our culture, in our society, how do we interact with people, you know, in, in my mind we talk about how um, and we invite people over for coffee and all of this stuff, which is totally true. But at the same time, then, we get in our cars and we are constantly disrespecting our fellow Lebanese on, an, on a regular basis through cutting in front and trying to do these shortcuts. It's similar when we go to the airport or when there's these other lines or whatever, constantly trying to feel like, you know, out of desperation, we have to try to grab or take any little advantage we can because the system has made people so frustrated and so desperate. How can we, in this culture change this mindset of, no, 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 I don't want to cut in front of you in the car. Please, please go ahead. Please. And, and if someone is frustrated, realize that they've probably had a bad day. And not retaliate, not raise our voice, not honk the horn, but realize that everyone is really trying through difficult times. And let's be more patient and supportive with, with each other. Do you think that where we are as maybe graduates of AUB and... It's worth noting you guys are not the same confession. You have a civil marriage. I got a civil marriage, but I got stuck with the same confession. <laughs> Regardless, I stuck to the civil marriage. Do you think that a bit of the, the psychological history, whatever it is, this, this tendency to naturally lean back and fall back into the old ways, this, this power-sharing formula that made Lebanon what it is and might be Lebanon's biggest curse. Do you see that this might be the beginning of a, what may end up being a secular regime for Lebanon or is that still too distant and Lebanon cannot survive with a secular system? And this is a subjective opinion. I think honestly the seeds have been planted for that because before the past, before these protests happened, Lebanon was largely segregated. Mm. Um, people were very much within their own bubbles, save for a few areas with, around the country where you know there's um, real integration. Yeah. But largely, neighborhoods and communities are one color yeah. and homogeneous. What we witnessed in downtown 
is remarkable yeah. because we reclaimed public space mm. and I'm sure Physically. you would, yes yeah. you probably experienced what we saw mm -hmm. and it was so beautiful to see people from different backgrounds very very different backgrounds yes. sharing the same street yes. enjoying the same music and yeah. the food and the poetry and the art yeah. and the discussions it was so incredible yeah. um, people that we normally would not meet or have discussions with or become friends with because mm. we are so isolated in our own bubbles now are our friends it's also very important to note here it yeah. can go within a few hours it's yes. almost as if nothing happened incredible yeah. it was yeah. incredible what we witnessed yeah. if we can create a country where there's social cohesiveness where people naturally mix and mingle they closed off Hajj Beirut using the excuse that it's because it's like Shiyeh and Mabarif, which neighborhoods come together, um, they're worried about this public space becoming a space for sectarian battles. We proved them wrong. Yeah. They're, they're, they're keeping us apart for a certain reason, but when we come together, we start to experience things together and understand there's no more secondary prejudice or secondary stereotypes where we we hear about the other we yeah. actually experience the other in front of us yes. and we start to form our own impressions of of each other and that's where the barriers start to be broken down are, this is how real, change happens those are real cracks in the system absolutely what about you Mani? look i agree um uh, with much of that and there is a lot of beauty in people coming together and realizing that we have we have way more similarities than differences. And how can we really celebrate and embrace and enhance the things that bring us together while we work on addressing and learning and also embracing the differences? That's okay, diversity is also a beautiful thing. Um, I think we need to get to the point of not having it feel like a problem that we, are, that we have 19 sects but that we... 18. 18 sects. You've been on the tour. Um, uh, Twice. <laughs> whatever. Give it okay. to him. <laughs> Fine. That, we, that it's not an issue that we have so many sects, but that we actually... It's not a problem, sorry. It's, it's an opportunity. It's beautiful. I agree. Let's celebrate these different, um, these different aspects and communities and celebrations and traditions. It's fantastic. Um, uh, I, I think at the same time, though, it's fine to, take, to, to, to be included in this conversation, is there are situations around the world, you know, I'm a firm believer in democracy, and uh, there are aspects, there are different forms and flavors of democracy around the world. And places that have a lot of diversity do often have elements that help to prevent the fear of or the actual sort of, we call it the tyranny of the majority. Now, in, in the US, um, uh, there is the aspect of the states and how the states have representation in the Senate and how the states are represented in the Electoral College. This is to prevent the smaller states that do have some differences of culture and tradition, et cetera, from getting sure. totally do dominated by the big states. Yes. There are also examples of, in Europe, yep. in, um, uh, in, in um, uh, Belgium, they have uh, these sorts of power-sharing arrangement. Yeah. So in my mind, I actually don't have any problem of keeping some aspect of this sort of power-sharing arrangement um, to help all Lebanese. You know, there is no majority group, but there are definitely much bigger and much smaller groups. So, so can we have some elements yeah. that help the smaller groups, first of all, maintain the representation mm -hmm. and help them feel 
safe. Like there will never be an issue. They don't even have to worry about an aspect yeah. of tyranny of the majority because it, it can't happen. Now, there are some different discussions around mm -hmm. of, of the aspect of the, um, uh, putting the um, presidency in the, the top positions and this idea of amdawara, of rotation, or, you know, it, it, there are these aspects of you know, whether there should be a separate Senate. You know, in my mind right now, a lot of the calls for the government are to have a smaller government, not yes. a bigger government. Yes. So I have this hesitancy about adding a whole new layer yeah. for a small country to have this whole new branch of more people who are getting um, those salaries and getting those, yeah. you know, those things. So I don't think we necessarily need to go to that. Um, I am an advocate of having things, of, of something like having the president be... Um, elected by the people mm. and be of any sect and then have some aspect of power sharing then of the other positions that rotates based on who the president can be. Yeah. But I think every Lebanese person should, you know, every kid, I see this in the eyes of kids, every Lebanese kid should be able to aspire to serve their country in that top post of being president of the country. Yes. And at the same time, for the older people, is us as a nation should be able to look for the best people of the country, regardless of sect, to lead the country. And at the same time, figure out some mechanism of power sharing to make sure that, other pe other, that all groups, that many groups are represented. Do you see that happening, though? And I ask you in a, in a, I mean, because there's now that momentum is there for something else, something new. Do you see it? There's almost. Do you see a transition possible towards something like that? Because these are all great ideas. You know, I, I spoke to Shibli Malak. He was on TV in the middle of the uprising, saying, "Screw confessionalism. Let's put a gender quota. Fifty-fifty. Not Christian, Muslim, men, women. Start over. I mean, these are perhaps a bit eccentric for Lebanon, but it it seems. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. And what you're saying also sounds like a great idea. Do you see that on the horizon? I, I think having a gender quota in the parliament is difficult just because there's so many layers already. Mm -hmm. If we're going to have some sort of allocation by districts and an allocation by sect, having another one is just complicated. Um, for, the, for the cabinet, for the um, council of ministers, 100%. Um, uh, at least 40%. Or we could just say flat out 50% yeah. um, uh, women. I, I think that that should be without a doubt. Um, some way to go. But is now, in terms of in terms momentum of, to get there, in terms of, in, you know, I, I I have a feeling that um, if I think that there are a lot more people across the country of all sects and groups and um, ages and um, uh, you know financial backgrounds, etc., who, if they were given the opportunity of choosing between different candidates for um, for a post at a sort of national level, I think that even going back a few years, um, but definitely now, the majority of them would choose based on who they think would be the best for the country mm. and not who happens to be their own sect. Now, in terms of, I think that a lot of people are afraid of this aspect of tyranny of a, of a majority, but um, uh, if there were protections for that, if we mm. say, no, no, mm. that's protected, don't worry about that, yeah. that's, that's happening. Now, um, uh, who can we choose of the best one or best, you know, couple people or, um, uh, you know, there's not, there's not national vote or and there can't really be national vote for all of the ministries, et cetera, et cetera. But people are much more interested in seeing qualified people who can take the country in a productive, positive direction mm. 
um, uh, rather than uh, someone who, who would, happens to be their own sex. But this is where it's so essential for um, for the government to really be representative of the people and for the people from these different communities to feel that there is a government that will treat them equally. Because yeah. historically in Lebanon, this is why confessionalism has been so powerful because our leaders were able to exploit that fear. Now, if we have a strong state and a strong leadership mm. where we believe that the leadership is actually um, intent on serving everybody equally, that's where nationalism will become strengthened and confessionalism will naturally become weakened. But nobody has enough trust right now because of what we've been through mm -hmm. in this country historically to feel that, um, that a, leadership, a leadership that's not from their own sect actually right. can be um, just with them. Yeah. And, you know, so this is what we need to work on. So it's, in a sense, and I, I know it's really premature to see, to know what will happen as a result the last two weeks. Revolutions usually take days. A proper revolution, meaning toppling a regime and putting in something else. It should be, sometimes if you're really lucky, a matter of hours. And, Oof. well, I mean, I'm going all the way here. Yeah, I don't know which way, yeah. I, I don't know which ones took hours, let alone days. Well, I think. I'll give you a good yeah. example. Th uh, 30 years ago, Ta'if was signed. And that's, I think, symbolically at least, that's what people are protesting against. The Ta'if order, the post-war order. 30 years ago, the Berlin Wall fell. And the Berlin Wall fell within hours. And Romania, I mean, it was, I think, less than 24 hours. The people revolted. The president was eliminated. You have this in history. You have an, ups, like an upswell of emotion that leads to something else. And I know Lebanon, things generally take time. Revolutions may take weeks or months, and reform may take decades. But all that said, do you think momentum matters? Yeah. We're now two weeks after, and where we're sitting right now, if you look outside, it's back to the way things were. The roadblocks are gone. Most of the protesters have gone home, not all. The highways have reopened. The Prime Minister submitted his resignation. Deep down though, and I say this from my side, it doesn't feel like a revolution. It feels like maybe going back to 1989 and addressing a few things that weren't addressed properly. The difference between a temporary revolt, a shock, versus a revolution. That, that could bring in the state that you're describing. So, from my perspective, this stuff just started. Mm -hmm. Maybe now we're, you know, the, the term, the eye of a storm, comes to mind. The mm. eye of the storm. Mm. But and that we're, in not, it, we're in it now. Or we're yeah, in, of course. Yeah. I mean, we, we had one step in a direction, but there's many more steps to go. And I think the steps coming up are going to be more difficult, substantially more difficult, than the steps that we just went through. Mm. Now, in terms of these examples you gave and, and the timeline of a revolution, you know, this stuff, it makes me think of the story where um, you know, we joke around in the startup world that every overnight success takes an average of seven years. You know, <laughs> these, these things that are short-term, they're not actually short-term. I mean, um, uh, Zainab brought up earlier about 2011 and 2015 and, um, uh, and then 2018 and you know, all of these things building up. And mm -hmm. so this is not a short-term thing. And I think that we need to be ready for months. Now, 
as well, how this one organically started is very interesting and is so beautiful and is so healthy and positive in so many ways. But as well, it was tiring. The last two weeks have been tiring. Sure. And uh, I think that it's fine to take a bit of a rest. Yeah. And for like the, the many um, protesters are taking a bit of a rest. Um, uh, people are working a bit and they're getting paid at the end of the month, hopefully. And um, uh, there's some sort of like regrouping, thinking of what's next. And yes, we're giving the government a chance to show their next um, move. Mm-hmm. And uh, people are are I think very much prepared and understand that this is this is we we haven't. I, I, I was even hesitant a bit when I saw on the news the celebrations last yeah. night. Yeah. And by the way, I think we have to have a shout out to Tripoli. Those people have the coolest fucking... Oh, <laughs> <laughs> right, now we're going to have to scratch. <laughs> All right, we have, to give, we have to give a shout out to Tripoli for having the coolest dang parties. And even I'm, I'm, the balloons... I'm, I'm keeping the first version. I'll get flagged, I don't care. <laughs> by the way, can we add, of the three of us, who's from Tripoli? Uh, okay, sure, yeah. Um, uh, the energy, the positivity, and then they bring out those like red, white, and green balls to sh- that have the shape of the Lebanese flag that they're hovering over people's heads. And then the, the, the balloon thing, you know, did you see this balloon that was filled with helium yes. that they filled out and they released it, went up into the sky, saying Lebanon hovering. These, so, are, these are the images I think we will remember later, for sure. So they're yeah. beautiful, yeah, 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 but yeah. we just have to really be aware that this was... Not the one step of three. It's not like we're asking for three actions. This is the first step of 20, yeah. of 30. And uh, let's celebrate this one. This was a yeah. great first step. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Brought people back together and energized and give people a break. But um, Can I push you just a little bit? And, yeah. and the one thing as well that I think is so important to realize is even when the protests are done and whatever those demands happen in the next stages of the government and the next stages of... Um, uh, of these processes in ne- next elections is one of the most important things has to be this continued sense of civic engagement not just of voting in the next election but of organizing of student groups being active on environmental, social, economic issues um, uh, you know we don't want the political parties to be in universities as they have been for so long but students need to be organizing and active um, everybody needs to realize that their civic duty their citizenship is something that they have to exercise every week, not every couple years. What would it take for us to think of Tripoli as a priority? I don't know if you... If, I don't know how representative we are on this. Yeah. I really have no idea. <laughs> mm. But we have both wanted to spend more time in Tripoli and do stuff in Tripoli, literally going back maybe five years or so. Mm. Um, uh, Zena is about to launch a project there, and my family's from tri- from the north, not from Tripoli, but um, I've been wanting to do more. We've done small activities up yes. there for a while, and yeah. there are so many. And, and by the way, we're talking about Tripoli, and we mentioned the parties in Tripoli, and there's beautiful stuff happening all over the country. So certainly not to discriminate against you know what's been happening in Zul and Nabati and Jadadib and in the Bekaa and in Mount Lebanon, etc. There have been beautiful things all over the country. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's just something is special about Tripoli as sort of the second biggest city in the country, um, where there's so many people, where there's so many um, uh, good you know, opportunities, but it has been so neglected by the country, by the government, for so long. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that we all should be really supporting and celebrating and seeing the, the Tripoli as 
um, a, a sister city of yeah. Beirut, and the others as well. You know, there's been too much centralization. Again, not to discriminate against but others. But would you but, equally put the same kind of uh, expectation on Nabati? Would you be able to now think of Nabati as one and the same? And, I, and I, I'm asking because I'm part of this. I think I'm part of this psychological barrier. I'm from Tripoli, and I'm in Beirut. I'm in the same part of Beirut that you're in. We're all in the same little world here. I think of Tripoli still as, even though it was very, it was beautiful what happened, it's still not where I would immediately think of as, now that I'm going to base my life in Tripoli. Actually, um, had the protests not happened mm. and life had continued as usual, mm. yesterday we would have launched our coding boot camp in Tripoli. So this and, goes and to show you, you were... Yeah, yeah, we had plans to do that. Yes. We've been active in Tripoli for a bit of time. This was our next go-to location. Yeah. And our third location was Nabati. Oh, wow. It's so interesting that wow. our eyes are, I feel like, on locations where there's so much potential and so much appetite and so much hunger for these resources and opportunities. So these projects were meant to happen around this so time. So Tripoli was supposed to happen yesterday. Wow. Obviously, we're going <laughs> to meet again uh, as a team... Um, uh, Friday in two yeah. days to discuss how to move forward, but we have everything in place to launch. We just okay. need to make sure that the state, the situation is stable. Nabatiye, we have uh, discussions um, happening yeah. to launch hopefully next year. But you said you're you're not. You, I didn't want to quote you wrong. You said that you guys are We're not representative. Not representative, yeah. meaning that. Most NGOs in Beirut do not want to. Not necessarily NGOs. No, I no, think no, no. more I, like individuals. Oh, individuals. I, I just see. don't. I just don't know. I yeah. mean, I know there are a lot of people who are talking about, and there are more tours, and there are more people going there. I just mm -hmm. don't have enough sort of data yeah. to to speak to, to to sort of voice what I think is a sort but, of norm or standard. But I honestly do feel that this movement has definitely. Um, united the Lebanese in that way. Like yeah. They look at Tripoli differently now. They look at Nabati and Sur differently now. There's yeah. like this connection. There's this uh, mutual love and kindred spirit that's been created. Like We yeah. think of images of the the the, the ma'raka in Nabati and Sur that we just, you know, that have put up with yes. so much. Like we want to go, we want to meet them, we want to see what they've been up to. Um, how can we support each other? This has created beautiful links across the country. Sure. Again, we've been fragmented all this time. We felt that we have nothing in common, but no, there's so much in common. And the fact that, you know, I mean, Tripoli, let's see how things go, but I've, all, I've known over the past several months there's been a haraki happening in Tripoli. There's been movement. There's been initiatives, beautiful initiatives that, that have been uh, born. And I think now as well, maybe we'll see more of it in other parts of the country, especially in the south and in the Ba'a. I mean, we're all connected now, so you can only imagine the ideas that are being transferred and the connections that are being made and the organizations and initiatives that are going to pop up that are going to transform those societies. Yeah. This does feel like our Berlin Wall is falling. Whether or not it fell, it's too soon. And that's why I just want to just get one step further. We saw the first step. It's a, it's a big accomplishment. The Prime Minister said so himself. He felt the pain of the people. It took him maybe longer than we hoped for, but he resigned. Just in a simple way, what would be the next step? Because you, you're pointing at what is what is, in, in essence, reform. And you want political parties out of the campus, and you want a, a new type of citizenry. But what would be the next step? 
Now that, now that the Prime Minister officially submitted his resignation, what would you like to see next? We actually just attended a session. We, we started this initiative with a group of friends and I. It's called Badnan Sur Badnan Arif. Hmm. Because we realized that there are many issues and topics that are being um, discussed around us that we don't know enough about. So yeah. we decided let's get experts yes. to the protest sites and invite everyone to come and discuss mm -hmm. um, uh, these issues. And today's topic obviously was the government resigned, what's next? Yeah, because it's an important question. Exactly, we are all yeah. lost. We don't know what and happens. I, I think this is day one. I mean, we went through yeah. 14 days of revolt, but this is day one of the aftermath. This is phase two. This phase, is phase yeah. two. So what was the consensus? In the, in he was talking about different um, possibilities of what might happen. One could be a technocratic government, but they're actually politically aligned, mm. so they're not mm. actually neutral. Another one, he said, um, could be like a, a, a military takeover, which is what Lebanon does not need. Um, another one was actually something that we want, but that's like very, very difficult. This, which is what? Which is uh, having uh, an independent mm -hmm. uh, technocratic government. Yes. And what I understood as well was that this is the hardest to get. Absolutely. Like, there are other options that are more likely to happen. We need to be very careful. Yeah. And this is where you're asking if the protest movement has died. Mm. It has not. The pulse is very much alive, alive in all of us. Yes. As when you said, we're taking a break. And we are, all eyes are ear and ears are on what the government does next. The ball is in their court. Uh, they do not have the luxury of time, in my opinion, they do not have the luxury of time yeah. to wait because of this economic crisis. So this is the pressure that's on them. We might, we might not need to be out on the streets to remind them that the clock is ticking. Yeah. You know, they need to act very fast. The EU is telling them, the U.S. is telling them, everyone's telling them you need to form a government very, very soon. I like, so, I like the difference, the, the terminology that the protests have died, but the pulse is gone up. Absolutely. Yeah. We are all um, not under any illusion that this is a victory to celebrate. Yeah. And one, one thing I learned today is that um, even if an independent technocratic government is formed, um, that's not enough because we need to make sure that they, they are given the power to pass the electoral reform law. So if they do not pass this law, if, they do not, if the government is not given the power to pass this law, we have to go back to the streets because we are counting on not just an independent technocratic government, we are counting on new early elections, but it has to be based on a new fair electoral law. So this is just the beginning of all of this. This is gonna be very difficult because parliament, yeah will not accept otherwise. If right. they're not given that ability, the yeah. government, parliament will not pass such a law. If they're not given that power, then we need to go to parliament and potentially identify certain members of parliament to lobby intensively and heavily to vote for the new electoral law. So Munir mentioned potential 20 steps. And you're now, in a way, you're... I'm listing a few of them. And, and, no, and you also pointed at what is a a needed step two, if that independent technocratic uh, cabinet is not formed, do you think people will go back and say, okay, we got the prime minister resigned, now we need to get the independent technocratic government in place? Is that something that you see where 
if the pulse is high enough, protests will come back, and that people will experience the same, the same momentum. I hope so. I hope I so mean, too, because that to yeah. me would, that to me would mean the beginning of. Potential. I'm more optimistic than you folks. I think 100%, 100%. people will come back. Yeah. I, I, and even to clarify, you know, I said that, um, that I, I think people are taking a break, mm. not from the movement, mm. not from the protests in terms of what is happening in the country. They're taking a break, meaning that they are going to get some rest at home. They're going to catch up on some sleep. They're going to, you know, do some laundry. They're going to do some of this sort of, you know, um, we were concerned and we started hearing people's voices go hoarse and people weren't sleeping well or whatever. This is, this is a marathon and a sprint. Yeah. And so people need to be taking care of themselves. We need to be taking better care of each other. And people need to be taking care of themselves. So I think that people are still very much on and are not going to um, uh, let things sort of flit away or um, uh, let a... Let a let the, let the, the demands um, uh, dissolve. I think on top of that as well, we have to think about, um, uh, you know, the, the, there's still so many needs in, in the country and all across the country. And, uh, and, and we have this very, I think, underappreciated group of people in the diaspora from all around the country who have gone abroad and done such wonderful things abroad and uh, too often under this former slash still current system the the expectation was often around the diaspora as just sending money back yeah. and I think we need to think much more um, openly creatively uh, dynamically about how we engage the diaspora because they, they protested too. Mm -hmm. It oh, wasn't just sure. Tripoli or Dahi or Nabati. Yes. I mean, Paris was alive. Lebanese made it, you know, that way. Yeah. And New York and, and all over the world. Yeah, the Lebanese were there for us too. So how can we engage them in being involved in these communities and bringing some of these ideas? And again, part of this, to be honest, comes yeah. back to this idea of, um, of culture. And I know myself and various other people who did grow up abroad, mm. um, uh, then wanted to come back, yes. but you know, in, in as much as we want to celebrate what diaspora Lebanese have done abroad and creativity and business and academia and uh, innovation, etc., is very often when they come back here, they're only sort of their 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 other ideas are only sort of lukewarm, lukewarmly accepted, and I think we need to accept them and enjoy and learn from them. We don't have to accept them at face value, yeah. but at least think that what they can bring back and these different ideas and these bizarre ideas and things that are just, you know, that we're just not accustomed to here might actually have some value and merit. We don't need politicians. We need civil servants. We need people who see, you know, public, public duty, public servants as working to do their best to serve the good of the country and the good of the people. And that part, I think, is beautiful. And that, by the way, is not just a conversation happening in Lebanon. That is also a conversation happening around the world, not just because governments around the world are moving so slow and because corruption and other you know, bureaucratic and problematic issues are, are issues all over. In general, this has been a problem for, for decades in many places. But as well, that's 
exacerbated by how fast the world is moving, in my mind, with these two massive tidal wave trends of climate change and technology, and technology, technology that is changing everything in our lives. And if the governments do not adapt, then the people who live within those systems will have a very difficult time. Um, and then this whole aspect of, you know, if government is always based on election of two years, um, two, three, four years, and then politicians are always incentivized to be thinking two, three, four years. But we need our government and the Ministry of Education, for example, to be thinking the kids that are entering kindergarten, they're going to graduate in 20 years into a world that is so different than the world today. We need those people to be thinking 15, 20 years into the future, and we, we're not having that. So how can we change the discussion of the people and the government to be more productive in that way. And in your personal capacity, you see your role more in the reform process itself, as opposed to politics as we know it, if I got that right. That there's, that the process, getting there, is, the, is your immediate focus, and in contributing to the process. My uh, profession has been mainly on youth development, mm. helping underprivileged youth, low-income youth, um, develop the skills they need in order to strengthen their li livelihoods and be um, building better futures. I really think, for now, um, I would like to continue down that road because obviously a large reason that these protests have happened is because so many youth have been marginalized, they're frustrated, they're depressed, they're in debt, they can't, they, there's, they can't find anything fulfilling in their lives. They go towards um, drugs and violence and extremism and suicide. I mean, these young men that we witnessed yesterday, it's because of absolute frustration. They're taking their anger out on the wrong people. Yes. You know, so I really, really want, as I mentioned earlier in this discussion, I want to think now, like, how can Nawaya work more towards these youth in these communities, and I've tried actually over the past year and a half to get involved in Khanda El Ghami. Mm. Um, and, it's and it's important right to say this, is, this yeah. is where we are. We're at yeah. Beirut Digital District right now, yeah. right next to Khanda El Ghami. Yeah. It's been very difficult to get in touch with youth from the neighborhood and to encourage them to join our entrepreneurship training program, which is meant to help underprivileged youth develop small micro-enterprises to help generate income. Um, now that I've made connections with people from this protest movement, I'm going to try again. I want to build on this and think how can we create more of a, you know, a dialogue between people from different backgrounds to really help build towards this vision of a unified Lebanon where, where, where you don't have people from other backgrounds coming in and destroying something that they yes. should actually be supporting. I don't think uh, politics in its in its usual sense here is for me either. But I also think that the reason we shy away from it is because we've only experienced poor politics in Lebanon. And maybe our kids will have a different impression of what it means to be politically active, at least in the state. So maybe that's for the next generation. Uh, it's very important, this location here. Beirut Digital District, I mean, the neighborhood has changed and it hasn't changed. And I think the same way Beirut has changed and hasn't changed. 10 years ago, even longer. I used to bring the tour here to show what downtown looked like without Solider. Mm. And Bashura, Khanda, I mean, a lot of the original buildings were still here and they were haunting. And some of them were drug dens. And there was, I mean, Civil War graffiti inside. It was a scarred part of Beirut. And it, it was important to show it on the tour. 
but it was also a, at times, frightening experience. And there's this uh, Syriac Catholic church just down the street as well we used to walk in. Trees inside. I mean, it's the green line frozen. Now it's Urbanista. It's Beirut Digital District. AUB has a building here as well. But one block over, and it's still the same. Yeah, I mean, I think that there, it's surprising, or maybe it shouldn't be so surprising, but it's shocking, shall we say, that some of that is, is so near to downtown, but also is even in downtown. Yes. And one of the beautiful things that happened in the protest, and, and also sad things, um, uh, but, you know, the, the opening of the egg to... <laughs> Public yeah. activities, public spaces, public events, and the opening of the Grand Theater to people, yeah. um, and condolences well to the to the family who had a loss uh, when someone fell there. Um, but these are these are public places, public assets, public cultural spaces that have been withheld from the people that have been deprived from the people for so long. Is it the Apart first time the you, go, da- you go into the theater, the Grand Theater? It was the first time I went for, for to me the too. Downtown Theater. First time. I mean, yeah. the egg, we know it because of years before, but yeah. yeah. And even the downtown as a whole uh, has been largely deprived from most of the people, most of the Lebanese people for the last decades. And so I think that this aspect of saying that, that growth only counts as an improvement if it is inclusive growth uh, is very important to keep in mind and to to see how we measure the success of this country in our evolution and our society and our communities by how is the bottom 10% living and able to have opportunities and when that happens then we won't have these divisions anymore we can have we can still have the political debates fantastic we can still talk about so many different things and yeah. disagree on them, but it should not be based on this basic aspect of access to basic education and opportunities and health care and pension and you know, basic livelihoods. Munir Nepti, Zena Saab, thank you. Thank you for having us. And thank you so much and, and good luck to all of us here in the country. of the way politics play out over the coming months, coming years, irrespective of any regime change, NGOs will continue to play a central role in helping heal Lebanon's economic wounds and bringing Lebanese together. On the ground, grassroots activity, the multitude of NGOs in Beirut and throughout the country deserve credit and applause. If you want to stay updated with upcoming episodes, simply subscribe to your preferred podcast platform or go to our YouTube channel. You'll find us there. Until next time, I'm Rani Shatah, and this is the Beirut Banyan.